Welcome, everyone, to Season 4, Episode 127 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. And this episode, kind of a short or shorter one in terms of our rundown, but there are some big talking points we have going into this episode. We are in the middle of an international break. I know, sad, seems like the international break always comes at the worst times when the club season is heating up, but it just is what it is when it comes to those international breaks. But uh, to get things started, we have the biggest game of... This past weekend, which was Liverpool versus Manchester City, lived up to the hype into a 2-2 draw. An exciting 2-2 draw because all the goals, I believe, came in the second half. Yeah, all goals came in the second half. And it was phenomenal. We had uh, It was a 2-2 draw, four goals scored, world-class goal from Mohamed Salah, drama on both ends. Pep Guardiola, you know, going through all the emotions during the sidelines. You had Jurgen Klopp versus Pep. It was a classic Pep versus Klopp rivalry that we've kind of been um, gotten used to, I would say, in the Premier League these past couple of seasons, especially at the heights that Liverpool and Manchester City have kind of set in the Premier League for past four or five seasons. And heck, I would even say since Klopp has entered the league and since Pep has entered the league, they've both kind of been um, at the forefront of revolutionizing the Premier League and also bringing it to the new heights that it's been set. So, I think they've shown that they have produced some exciting matchups, but this this matchup was a was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly a shame this game had to come to an end because ah, I just wish it just kept going. It was such a good match, and I mean, you kind of said it where for the past several seasons the Premier League has been basically spoiled with this matchup, where I feel like it's our own equivalent of a Premier League El Clasico, where in La Liga you have Barcelona versus Real Madrid as the El Clasico. But for the Premier League, we have Liverpool versus Manchester City. And for the past several seasons, it's come with its own storylines and its own battles of Jurgen Klopp versus Pep Guardiola, Mo Salah versus Sergio Aguero. And at times, in certain points of the season, it'd be first for second place with both teams trying to gun for the title. And this past match that happened between the two, it was no exception to this ongoing storyline because it really had it all. We had Mo Salah scoring what could be the goal of the season. Rodri with a game-saving block at the very end of the game. Certain key changes to the lineups where James Milner started over an injured Trent Alexander-Arnold and Phil Foden just making havoc on that left wing on James Milner just the entire game. And that's where I kind of would want to start with this game because that key changed the lineup where Trent Alexander-Arnold out with a groin injury right now. He was a key figure for Liverpool because he is currently in the Premier League leading in terms of chances created from set pieces, chances created in general, and passes played into the box successfully, and also just successful crosses into the box successfully, all as a right back. So although he's a key defender for that Liverpool back line, he's also one of the key playmakers for the team as well. James Milner, of course, he's been a Swiss Army knife of Liverpool for the last several seasons, but, you know, he's getting past his prime. He's around 35 years old now. He's no Trent Alexander-Arnold and having to stop not only Phil Foden, but an occasional overlapping Kevin De Bruyne or Jack Grealish on that same side. It was a lot for him to take, and at times that's what led to that first goal by Phil Foden. And not only that, I feel like James Milner... (laughs) you can kind of tell he was just kind of hanging on there because he committed so many fouls not only on Phil Foden but Jack Grealish just because he just really couldn't keep up to the point where there was a lot of (laughs) argument that he potentially should have gotten two yellow cards during this game he committed several fouls 
not only outside the box, but there was one in particular where Phil Foden was going into the box and he made a big foul and there was basically nothing called for it. And I feel like that, if it were to be called, it would have completely changed the game. And just due to just the intensity of what was going on, maybe that's why the referee didn't call it. I was thankful that he didn't because that's ultimately why Joe Gomez had to be subbed in for James Milner in this game because it was just too much for him to playing that right back position the entire game. But... But given the circumstances of the lineups and also just the heroics from Rodri blocking Fabinho's last like few minute open goal shot, I feel like a 2-2 draw is pretty fair. And I mean, you can see from the reaction of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp on the side just hugging it out at the very end of the game. Both just full respect. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it's as a Liverpool fan, you want the three points, but you know, you'll take the draw given the result that just happened. But but yes, I definitely want to hear your take because there's definitely so many storylines that you can basically just choose from. It's just pick your poison, really. <laughs> yeah, I thought that with the James Milner one was interesting because they, he did have a chance of potentially getting a red card in the second half when there was a challenge on Bernardo Silva, which he did stick out his leg and Bernardo did make contact with it. And you had differing opinions from everyone, whether it was deserved a second yellow where he could have got sent off. Some people are like, you know, it's a bit harsh, but, you know, there's definitely up there that he could have been sent off. And I think Klopp made the right decision of yanking him after that and not taking the chance because he was, in a lot of sense, I I know he kind of put in, he had to just go in there because of Trent's injury, but he was getting cooked by the likes of Phil Foden um, and Bernardo Silva kind of making a meal out of it in terms of just getting the best out of him. Um, And that just, you know, comes unfortunately with Milner's age. But I wanted to bring up uh, a couple of points. There was um, the talk of Jack Grealish. He did start this game and obviously he has, he is Manchester City's biggest um, buy of the summer, a hundred million pounds from Aston Villa, you know, most expensive British, I believe most expensive British player ever um, transfer wise. But what's interesting is I heard a lot of conversation about his impact with the team and, you know, he does have a couple goals and a couple assists, you know, in the Champions League and in the Premier League. But in terms of really lighting up Manchester City, he hasn't really done that or shown that just yet. Um, and there was some interesting conversation I saw on Twitter that I would say I have to agree with. Uh, they were comparing the like of Jack Grealish, um, his type of player profile. He's kind of the player that is a big fish in a small pond, but he uh, he's a big he's a big fish in a small pond type of player. But he is not very effective when he is a I would say a big player in a big pond if that makes sense. So I would say compared to Wilfred Zaha, you know how for so many years you could have listened to this podcast or other people where it's like, why isn't Wilfred Zaha made the move to, you know, a big six club? Like, you know, he has the talent, he showcases it each and every week. You know, he's kind of, he's got the flair, he's got the finish, he's got like everything you need. But then when you look at his game and you kind of look, you know, kind of look deeper into it, Wilfred Zaha, the reason he is so successful is because the team is built around Wilfred Zaha where everybody just feeds Zaha the ball 24-7. Like, you know when you play Palace and Zaha's in the team, you know he's going to be force-fed the ball. He's going to be allowed to cook and do his own thing. And really, the manager or the other players aren't going to stop him from doing that because they know he's the best player on the team. I feel like Jack Grealish kind of has that same problem because at Aston Villa, yeah, they had the likes of, you know, John McGinn. They had Ollie Watkins. They had, you know, a couple other players that could create, but 
really, Jack Grealish was the main creator in terms of providing the creativity, the finishing ability, providing that that little scare factor from Aston Villa. And that was because he was force fed the ball every time they got the ball, you know, constantly getting the ball. He was like the most fouled player, I believe, last year. And now this season, now that he's at Manchester City, yeah, there's going to be a bit of adjustment, but I think that will actually harm the usefulness of Jack Grealish because he is now in a position where Phil Foden, in a lot of ways, kind of plays a similar role of Jack Grealish, where he can play out in the wing and in the center attacking midfielder position. But now Grealish is in a, a team that has the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez, Gabriel Jesus, where he's no, not, like I would say Jack Grealish is not necessarily, he's not the number one option anymore. And now that you're not the number one option, how does your game adjust in terms of not being used to getting the, fed the ball a lot of the time? So, you know, and we've seen that his impact in terms of his goals and assists hasn't been there. And I think, unfortunately, I feel like that might be a pattern for the rest of the season. I, I don't think, you know, the type of player profile he is, I don't know if he's really going to thrive in a in an area or in a team where he's not being force fed the ball or where he's not the number one guy in terms of creating everything. And in a lot of ways, I feel like maybe Manchester City kind of wasted that money they haven't done that a lot in recent years but i feel like in this sense i feel like they've probably um wasted that money because um just the way jack Grealish plays i don't think you're gonna get the best out of him in a manchester city shirt unfortunately just because of the way he plays and the way he wants the ball all the time and unfortunately at city you're not gonna get, you're not gonna be the number one option when kevin de bruyne is there and heck you could make the argument that phil foden is a better number two option than jack Grealish. so um, it's kind of my interesting take that I saw on Jack Grealish, which I, I would say I have to agree with. Mm-hmm. I also agree just because if you think about it as well, from the, from this actual game, there were times Phil Foden slid into the middle and took over for Grealish's position. And then Grealish went back to left wing at times because that's where he's more comfortable. And also for that point where he brought it with Zaha, when he went to Manchester United, uh, Wilfred Zaha, really early on in his career, granted it was kind of early, but mm-hmm. he didn't really thrive as much as people were expecting him to. Like it was like a Zaha versus Raheem Sterling rivalry for the longest time, where it's like, oh, who's going to be the better developed player? And then ultimately it became Sterling. But I mean, that's to say because you know Zaha kind of prefers to be in this position where he is like the main man. Like at Crystal Palace, he's like the best player on the team. And the team kind of thrives around that because they put all their, their eggs in that Zaha basket and he thrives from it. But when you put him in an environment where he plays for the England national team or he plays for Manchester United where he's not the main man, then he doesn't really work out as much. He's, he is that big fish in a lake rather than a big <laughs> pond or a small little pond, kind of things like that. So, I mean, I think that's kind of like the same with Grealish where he's also still kind of trying to figure out his footing. Even for that England national team in the yeah. Euros this past summer, Jack Grealish at times didn't even start. They would just yeah. sub him in as a super sub, even though he had all this acclaimers like, oh, he's going to be the next big thing. He's going to be yeah. like the I mean, big money move. Like the, the English fans, they love Jack Grealish. Like they they mm-hmm. absolutely adore him. But uh, I agree with you. It's like, how do you fit him in the team? Because, yeah, you could play him as a, as a winger, but he doesn't necessarily have the pace of a, you know, Marcus Rashford. I mean, he didn't really play that much, but a Raheem Sterling um, in the England national side. And then for Manchester City, I don't know. I always had puzzling thoughts about this transfer just to begin with because I thought Phil Foden is the same type of player profile of Jack Grealish where small, very technical on the ball, you know, 
can play out in the wing, can play as a center attacking midfielder, has a good vision on him, can finish. I, I just felt like they were just too similar. And it's just like, why would you spend a hundred mil when you already have this homegrown player that you've built and developed? It, it, it To me, it, it was just kind of, it didn't make sense. I feel like at times, I think we mentioned this before around when, we're asking it's like why isn't man city going in for kane like they need kane they need yeah. they need a striker and then it's like oh we'll just get another left winger another creative <laughs> player it's like oh okay i think they really just did it mostly just to say it's like all right now no one else can have him we have him now so no one else well like we won't have to face him which is i guess a strategic move in itself too where it's like now they don't have to worry about having to face jack Grealish if mm-hmm. he went to men's united or if he went to tottenham or something yeah. Or, you know, Chelsea, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say for this, it's, I think it's going to take a little bit of time too, just for Jack Grealish. Like, it's, I was surprised that he also got the start so quickly. I knew mm-hmm. that he probably would have to just because he's yeah, worth so much tag. money. It's like, how are you going to buy him and then just put him on the bench? That was also, <laughs> I think, one of our old topics too is like, are we actually going to have a team buy a player just to ride the pine? It's like, probably mm-hmm. not. Because, if you think about it as well, this is something I kind of thought about over the weekend where, you, you know, when you're on Twitter or you and you're on a social media like Instagram and you see the comments, it's like, oh, why are you playing this player? This player is so much better than the player is starting, things like that. But it's like you realize the player that is starting, which maybe like in this case is someone like a Jack Grealish who's worth like 100 million pounds just based on recent transfer market value, who's taking the place of someone, say, Riyad Mahrez on the bench for Manchester City, who's worth 60 million pounds based on his move from Leicester, or even Raheem Sterling, who was a 50 million pound move from Liverpool. And if you were to just kind of do the math on it, it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but for every 90 minutes on the pitch that Jack Grealish plays or makes a pass, I feel like everything he does is like a dollar amount. So of that 100 million pounds, you know, it's divided over the course of all the minutes he plays over the season, but it's like every pass he makes, every shot he takes, every dribble he takes on against a defender it's kind of like you know it could be a few thousand dollars per move made per pass made or per shot and for every minute he's just there on the pitch just to have eyes on him it maybe it's like maybe you know a few hundred dollars per per eye looking at him and for all the other players they're just riding the bench like Riyad Mars and Raheem Sterling Ferran Torres you know the list goes on because just because Man City have a whole second squad on their bench at this point it's just all that money just sitting there, just not doing anything. I mean, granted, if there's an impact time for them to come on as a super sub or something, you know, then they get some of their money back. But I do believe yeah. Jack Grealish getting the start for Manchester City in such a big game against Liverpool, where he got thrown in really early without really getting too acclimated with Pep Guardiola's system yet, getting put into that center forward position, which I feel like is not his best position. His best position, I feel like, is left wing which is what phil foden played this game it, it felt like there's like a slight monetary reason why he got that start <laughs> in this big game and why maybe a raheem yeah. sterling or a riyad mars was sacrificed to the bench just so he can get some minutes on that pitch because he's he's worth so much money it's, it's not like you're gonna pay 100 million pounds just to keep him on that yeah, bench I, and then have that money just getting fried yeah i agree and his age i believe he's 25 or 26 but you know not to say that he's at an age where he can't really develop anymore in terms of being a more proficient player that can develop in this style. I think if there's a manager that can transform him into a, I wouldn't say necessarily a better team player, but a player that can adapt to this situation would probably be 
Pep Guardiola, and we've seen that he's done that with multiple players in the past. I still think he has time to do that, but I guess in the early stages, it doesn't look the most likely that it's going to happen just because of the way he plays. I'm hoping that he at least turns it around because I do like Jack Grealish, but um, a very interesting observation. But uh, one other thing I had from, I guess, this game that I was seeing was the talk of Mohamed Salah, not because of his world-class goal. It was a really great goal. I have to give it to him uh, for that. It was a fantastic goal. But Klopp was saying that after the game, um, it was a goal that Liverpool uh, fans and supporters will remember for a very, very long time. But also he mentioned that um, if Messi or Ronaldo scores that goal, you know, immediately you say that player is world class, even though we already know both of those players are world class. But then Klopp basically said that point or brought up that point because he wanted to mention that uh, Mohamed Salah scores that goal because he is world class. And I know we had the discussion about Mohamed Salah, uh, I guess a couple episodes ago when the FIFA ratings were revealed when uh, EA actually gave Mohamed Salah a downgrade, uh, one overall downgrade where he's now an 89 instead of a 90. And we thought that was interesting because uh, as Tyler mentioned, the season before he actually had a better goal turnout than the season before that, two seasons ago where he actually got to the 90 overall upgrade. And I do agree. I think, you know, even as a United fan, I thought going in, I thought he was basically, uh, what is it, underrated. I thought he deserved the 90 rating. And I'm not just speaking about this just for a FIFA aspect, but in terms of just the overall conversation, I think a lot of people brought up that he's easily, I guess in current form, he's in, I guess, the third best player in the world. If you had Messi, Ronaldo, and then Mohamed Salah in that order, or whichever order you would have pick in this current form they said that Mohamed Salah is probably the best in the world right now or in the conversation of the best in the world so I thought that was really interesting because I think that is true because I know we joke about you know other people like to joke about oh it's you know he's a one season wonder one season mo but realistically ever since he's come to the Premier League I mean the guy I think he scored probably 20 plus goals each season I feel like he has across Mm -hmm. all competitions um you know, it's just crazy. I think he's been in the golden boot race for the Premier League season. I think almost every season he's been here, which is just crazy because he's quote unquote a winger. Um, you know, yeah, he can at times miss a lot of the open chances and kind of fluff some of his, I would say, quote unquote easy chances. But he does make up for it for the, the sheer amount of volume that he just produces in terms of creating chances, scoring goals. And honestly, last season when Liverpool were really struggling, I felt like he was probably one of the more consistent players in terms of the front three at least where he was consistently providing goals or assists or creating chances and yeah coming from United fan I think uh, Mohamed Salah definitely deserves his credit because I feel like he doesn't sometimes at least doesn't get the kind of the respect and love he deserves because I guess we've just gotten so used to him doing those type of things Um, but he's easily been one of the more consistent players across Europe for the past couple seasons by far Um, and it's just been Kind of crazy to see, um, seeing mm-hmm. him doing it in the Premier League each game, every season. Those stats and just if you were to take away the, I guess, pedigree and just history from every season. Like if every season was just segmented to be its own isolated incident, its own isolated period. This season, Salah has actually been doing better than, you know, like a Messi or Ronaldo so far. Just because Messi had a kind of a slow start at PSG. And Ronaldo at times, like he had a hot start and then it's kind of cooled down a little bit at Manchester United. And even Mbappe, like a lot of people getting Mbappe a little bit of hate just because he was like the cover boy of uh, FIFA 22 and he got like a 91 rating or something. And people are like, man, that's 
little overrated there just because he's cover boy. But for Salah, I feel like there's been talks even for him being in the race for Ballon d'Or. And you're starting to see some memes on Twitter. You're starting to see some memes on social media of just him chasing down the Ballon d'Or and things like that. <laughs> and you haven't seen that kind of talks with him for a while. It's always been like, oh, it's, if there's like a underdog kind of player going for that, it would probably be like Robert Lewandowski or it would probably be like that previous season before. I believe it was like two or three seasons ago. It was Luka Modric. So yeah. this season... It's he's in the conversation. Like although he's underrated, he's on everyone's ears. He's the talk of the town. Or it's like he might be able to do it this season if he keeps up this form. Although it's pretty early still. We're just in we just hit October not too long ago. Yeah. But if he can just keep this up, then he already has a head start, is what we're also saying. So I think Salah, despite the critics saying, you know, it's like it'll it'll eventually drop off. It'll eventually drop off. It's just something he's doing for the season. But next season, it'll just be like, you know, he turned into an average player, just 10 goals or something. But no, he's kind of proven everyone wrong. And he's keeping that train moving. He's already had six goals, top goal scorer, golden boot race. So he is and Mo. He, I know there was, uh, you know, as we were talking about Mohamed Salah and appreciating him, I think I did see some conversation from Liverpool fan accounts. Was a, I guess he... One area of concern was his contract. I think it's like running out soon or it's I think he's on his final year or approaching his final year soon. Um, and the conversation is, I, I believe he's at 30 years old right now. And now the conversation is, what, do Liverpool give him all the money he wants and extends it? Or, you know, that's kind of the tough decision because we've seen players, obviously Messi and Ronaldo at 30, uh, beyond 30, just keep performing at a high level. Robert Lewandowski, I believe, is at 32, 33, still performing mm-hmm. at a really high level. Um, so I guess now in this modern age, it's not too uh, common to see players drop off so dramatically when they hit 30, as long as they take care of the body, which it seems like Salah you know, takes good care of himself in terms of his physical well-being. But uh, that that's the interesting com- topic. Is like, what, Do Liverpool just hand him all the money he wants and just hopes that, you know, you get a solid five years of world-class Salah. Cause like Arsenal did that with Aubameyang and Aubameyang just poof has not been the same player since the new contract. And he was around that same age too. I believe he was like 31 when Arsenal decided to hand him the new contract to make him stay. I think the most Salah contract, if I can remember just from memory, I think it's like 18 months away from expiring. Mm-hmm. So he does need a new one. And if he were to get one, I would assume he would either get more money or at least stay the same because he's one of the most paid, highly paid players in his salary. Um, I, actually, I think they're waged, but in, in the Premier League, but <laughs> uh, he's one of the top up there and he's the most paid player in Liverpool and in the Premier League itself. I think he's top 10, if not six or fifth, because I know Manchester United pay their players a lot. <laughs> yeah. So does Man City. Then, uh, Man City and Chelsea. Yeah, Man City as well. But I think they, if I were them, I mean, obviously I'm not Fenway Sports Group, but if I were them, you know, this is your golden goose. This is your top player. And if you take them out of the team, the player overall, like quality of the team takes a dramatic hit. So I would try to keep them. And based on like modern medicine now and just physicality of just players, like we've historically seen, as you just mentioned, like 2930. It's like, oh, they're going to be in the decline now. The, oh, there they go. It's, I mean, these days you're starting to see if they can keep it up, 
then usually you start to see that decline more around 33, 34, 35 now in terms of years old. So I think he can keep it up because he's one of the most fit players on the team. Like he's rarely injured. Like every season he plays almost every game. So I think you would have to give him the contract. But, you know, Fenway Sports Group, if John Henry, if you're listening, should pay him. Should pay Mo. He's what he's basically the most important player of like the entire continent of Africa, too, in terms of popularity and just influence for the whole area as well. So mm. that's just my take. Yeah. <laughs> it's like LeBron, if James is approves, LeBron James approves of Bo Salah, too. So exactly. He's the that. king. Yeah. So if the king approves, you know, you got to hand him the contract. <laughs> but overall, Liverpool, Man City was a great game. You know, 2-2 two, two draw, Jurgen Klopp versus Pep, another historic chapter written that rivalry, Mohamed Salah, world-class goal. I mean, the game just lived up to everything that it um, that it, that it was meant out to be. So it was a great, great game to watch. And moving on to Manchester United-Everton, which ended in a 1-1 draw. Everton coming into Old Trafford. Rafa Benitez once again getting the one up on Manchester United. I feel like that guy's United's kryptonite. He always... Whether it was for Liverpool, Newcastle, always just always had the perfect game plan to um, rattle United, and he he had the perfect one for this one because even though Manchester United they had some struggling performances against Villarreal, um, against West Ham, and just overall struggling as a team to perform the past couple of games, they started out really hot in this game. They they were creating a tons of chances, weren't finishing them off, um, and they kind of had Everton on the ropes a little bit. But once again, the thing that has been letting Manchester United down this season particularly has been the transition defense and especially um, with the goal they conceded against Everton. It was a corner that Manchester United had. United failed on the corner. The ball got spread out to Damari Gray and Fred, who was the man that was on charge of winning the ball back, couldn't win the ball back. And I think he had a couple of tries in terms of winning the ball back, but uh, eventually essentially got brushed off the ball by Damari Gray. Um, and because of that, all the United players had to come cover for him. And that left space for Andros Townsend. Townsend scores, does a variation of the C celebration. Uh, and it was just overall, it was it just dampened the things and dampened the mood again, once again at Manchester United because this season in particular, I know last season we did struggle with that a little bit, but this season we've just kind of been left really open um, when it comes to the transition uh, defensive side of the ball. And I don't know if that has to do with, you know, lack of coaching. Yeah. But also I feel like with the way we've been playing in terms of having all the attackers we have and trying to put them all onto one team, it's left us very vulnerable in the back and specifically the midfielders. Um, I would say the way we're trying to play where we're trying to play with one holding midfielder or two um, quote unquote, not really holding midfielders with McTominay and Fred with the what we call the McFred. Um, it just shows that the that that just, that position is really lacking for Manchester United, and because of that, you know, I was watching Manchester City versus Liverpool, and I was looking at the likes of Rodri and Fabinho, the way that they're able to just win the ball back so easily when the game goes on a counterattack. Let's say if City's going on a, on a counterattack, Fabinho is just in the right place to win the ball back, or at least if not winning the ball back, at least stop them to the point where he can slow things down a little bit to get the other defenders on side. Same with Rod Ree, where he made that, I guess, game-saving block for Manchester City at the end. And when you look at Fred and McTominay, 
in a lot of ways, they're kind of lacking in terms of that awareness, the positional awareness, the uh, wherewithal, and also the ability just to tackle the defender or tackle the offender, win the ball back, and just recycle play. And that's been the biggest worry. And that's kind of been the biggest plague of Manchester United for the past couple of seasons, just that center defensive midfielder position has been such a letdown. And this game in particular just really showcased that weakness because that goal that we conceded shouldn't have happened. We could have easily fouled him or could have easily won the ball back. But Demari Gary pushes Fred off the ball, lets the entire defense, the entire defense has to compensate for that slide. And that obviously leaves space open in the midfield end. As I said in our preview, I, I felt like the center defensive midfielder position was going to let Manchester United down this season. And you know, we're still in October and every United fan and even non-United fans are seeing how big of a weakness that area is compared to other top teams in Europe. I mean, even for me, just watching this team at the very beginning, it was pretty hot. Like this is a team where it's like, oh, they're in title contentions now all of a sudden with Ronaldo coming in. And now fast forward to basically a month later. Now it's just been a streak of dropping points, a few losses and some question marks around Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his managing and I'm just wondering it's like where did it all go wrong <laughs> it's just like it looked like everything was all right like it looked like although McFred was still there everything else around it was good enough to kind of like cover up for it where it's like all right we have to like this one little Achilles heel like you know what's it called <laughs> like that the like weak spot yeah the weak spot but I feel like it was working so far, but then it just really the wheels came off the bus really quickly. And then, you know, certain players got chucked into this game. I mean, granted, for your situation against Everton, there weren't some key players in this match. Like Lindelof came in for Harry Maguire, who was Harry Maguire was injured. And like Martial started after kind of being on the bench for a while. And then also Cavani came in for Ronaldo, obviously. But against an Everton and against a weaker Everton side, it's like, oh. Uh, I feel like Manchester United should be able to, you know, play more than a draw, at least to this team. Like, at least try to get like a two two goals in this game. But no, it's a 1-1. Yeah. And then you had the and vulnerability the to let Townsend and, come in and do the Ronaldo celebration in your stadium. Yeah, Man. It, and the thing is, we were in control of the game once, like going into the second half and the, a little bit going into the second half. But... um you know, we were in control and then that one counterattack just really let us down. And it's little moments like that where we have been in control, we have created chances, but we let, I guess, our concentration slip for that one little moment. And that's what lets the other team in. And that's ends up what bite, like what's ends up biting us in the back. And I know a lot of question marks have been pointed at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And I have myself have pointed those question marks as well, because, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you know, I, we started doing this when Jose Mourinho was in his final season and when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in as interim coach and then when that next season where he was struggling a lot. I have been a big supporter of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I haven't been on the bandwagon of, hey, one bad result, get him out of the club. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just a PE teacher. No, I've <laughs> been like, you know, he needs time to kind of develop and, you know, really kind of cycle out the dead wood at Manchester United and build his own team. And this summer... You know, specifically, he's been backed a ton in terms of getting Ronaldo, Sancho, Varane. And with that, I know these are three big superstars and especially the likes of Ronaldo and Varane and especially Ronaldo. I knew there was going to be a bit of an adjustment period because 
of course, when you add a player like you've seen with PSG, with Lionel Messi, and with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, those amazing world-class players, the best players of our generation, yeah, you're going to have to tailor and basically change up the way you play a little bit because there's no way Messi and Ronaldo are going to conform to the way you play. They're like, we've been playing this way for such a long time and we've been at the height of our game playing this way that we're just going to continue playing our way. But the team has to adjust a little bit of that. And I think that's kind of been the crux of some of the problems in terms of, as you mentioned, some of the fluidity problems. Um, Because if you watched our games against Leeds, Southampton, yeah, we drew against Southampton and yeah, we didn't play our best against Wolves, but there was still kind of that same formula that was working from last season being transferred over this season. But since Ronaldo has come in, it's kind of changed up things a little bit. It's kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, Shaking things up and... I guess it's down to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now in terms of where he's at as a manager. Where, How can he maximize and get the best results out of this team with the superstars in terms of the egos and everyone that we have on this team now? Where, like, This is where Solskjaer's man management and also his tactical analysis as just a manager is going to really come into play. And I'm going to be very interested to see how this international break, how he's going to come out of this. Because I think, you know, as we joke about the international break, I think it did come at a really good time for Manchester United because I think they needed a break in terms of the coaching staff really needed a break to kind of really look at things as a whole and see where they can improve. And I'm going to be just very curious to see how we look coming out of this inter- international break because... Um, it's rumored that Marcus Rashford can um, be eligible to start once again pretty soon coming off his injury. I played it in an indoor exhibition match inside Old Trafford today and scored two goals. So him coming back, I think, will be a major boost because I think he offers a lot of um, different, I guess, a different aspect going forward than a lot of our other forwards. He's one forward that will always make those darting runs, will always you know drag defenders out of place just because he always makes those runs in behind. And I think our team needs that. But I will say another bright spot out of this game, one of the few was Jaden Sancho. He came on, I believe, in the last 25, 30 minutes, and he looked really bright. Um, probably the best I've seen of him in a Manchester United shirt. It kind of looked like the player we bought from Dortmund, you know, getting past people, creating tons of chances. Um, and I think the big thing was just he was really confident and he was kind of playing without, I would say the first couple games in his United career, he's been playing very shy and being very scared of, you know, not making a mistake. But I think um, his cameo in this game, he just kind of let it out, let it all out and just played with no fear. And I think that's when we saw the best of Sancho. Um, but yeah, I, I think the international break came at a good time because I think the the coaching staff for sure just need some time to kind of analyze and figure out what's the best plan going forward. Maybe that isn't playing all our best attacking players in one game. Maybe that means one of, you know, Greenwood or, you know, wouldn't say Bruno, but maybe, you know, he has to shake things up a little bit. Maybe we can't have all the best attackers all on one starting 11 and finding that consistent starting 11 in the league and just playing them. And yeah, it may be, make, it may make a couple people unhappy, but that's kind of the hard decisions you have to make as a as a manager, unfortunately. Hmm. So they're kind of saying is like, man, if only we had a few more center midfielders or <laughs> a few more kind of just creative players. And Rashford could kind of bring that dynamism into that team because he's also yeah. one of the players that will take a player on and also drag a defender out of position. So And he maybe- was a key. He was a key player last season. He was one of our best consistent players. And I'm not saying in terms of like, oh, we need to assign another player because we've seen teams win league titles, Champions League titles with deficiencies in their squad. I mean, with Chelsea, they didn't, I'm trying to think for Chelsea, they didn't really have an out and out 
consistent number nine. Timo Werner, Kai Havertz was basically the rotating number nine. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like they had Romelu Lukaku back then. And I know for Liverpool, um, they had a couple other deficiencies when they were winning, when they won the Champions League. So it's not like you need to have best overall every player in the starting 11 I just don't think that's possible but I think as a manager you have to figure out a way to make the most or maximize the potential out of every player and I think for the most part Solskjaer has been able to do that and I think with Fred he has been able to do that but I think just with the overall quality of the squad yeah Fred was really good back then when the squad wasn't that good but now that the squad overall in terms of the players everywhere around us are better Fred and McTominay specifically need to raise up their game in terms of being more confident on the ball, making better decisions, and just being just overall more confident. Um, And I think that has to come down to overall coaching, um, you know, in terms of practice sessions and getting and training Fred and McTominay up to be able to handle that role. Would you say like Fred and McTominay's ceilings haven't hit, or do you think they still have a little bit more room? Because I do know... At least for Fred, it looking like every time he plays, it's always like, oh, it's freaking Fred again. Yeah. Fred, I, I think Fred is definitely, especially with his age, I think Fred is now 28 or 29. He's definitely hit his ceiling. McTominay, um, I believe, is 25. He's 24 right now, but he will be turning 25 soon. I feel like he still has a little bit, I feel like just a tad, like a little bit more he can improve on. But in terms of his, I guess, overall attributes as a player I don't think that's really going to change because I know a lot of pundits and a lot of people when they talk about Manchester United they're like I want to see Manchester United playing a 4-3-3 with McTominay being the whole the sole holding midfielder but whenever I hear that I'm like have you guys watched United play because McTominay he's not a holding midfielder he is very much a combative box-to-box midfielder he's the type of midfielder that will go run up and down the pitch like 90 minutes, he will give you his all uh, running up and down. He knows how to get himself in clever positions to um, potentially score a goal being in the attacking third. But he's also, you know, he can be strong enough to win the ball back and, you know, kind of win, you know, win the ball back for the team. But in terms of being that very disciplined center defensive mid, such as a Fabinho or Rodri or a uh, Casemiro, you know, Conte, he's not really that type of player. He's not very disciplined enough to just sit by himself and just be comfortable with the other players going forward. And I know there's been reports that apparently Michael Carrick has been doing one-on-one training sessions with McTominay in terms of helping him improve his short passing and long passing to kind of develop to play in that defensive midfielder role. But I feel like that might be almost a waste of time. I know you always need need to train, but I feel like McTominay is just the way he is, is the way he is. And unfortunately, I don't feel like that's going to change. I would like to see, I know Donny van de Beek is naturally a center attacking midfielder, kind of in that Bruno Fernandes position. But my thinking is, why not, I guess in a sense, if we see Fred and McTominay not really working, why not add maybe do McTominay and Donny van de Beek or McTominay and Fred, where at least Mc, or I would at least I, I was going to say at least with Donny van de Beek, you have that confidence that he can pick out a ball. He's very confident, like in terms of doing short passes. He's very he's got the accuracy. He's got the vision. That way, I guess in that sense, you know you're not going to just give away the ball cheaply in position like possession. You have someone that is very comfortable with the ball, can pass out the back. And, you know, can overall handle that pressure. But, you know, it remains to be seen what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer kind of views Donny van de Beek. Because, you know, obviously right now it just seems like he's kind of in the gutter and can't get out of it right now. 
You know, he's very much a luxury pick where it's yeah. like <laughs> they, they Manchester United bought Donnie Van de Beek. He's like, all right, welcome to the bench. <laughs> it's like we barely see him play. I'm upset too. Cause like as a Liverpool fan, I was like, man, he'd been pretty good on Liverpool, but you know, he ultimately chose, I mean, I'm not sure if he chose it, but ultimately Manchester United pay more money to Ajax. But I feel like he is the, the word underutilized is a bit of an understatement, but <laughs> he just needs to get some minutes and there's gotta be a way to like shoehorn him in to the squad at least to mm-hmm. at least change it up. Cause as you said, this team, if they had just a slightly different kind of player come in, just not all, you know, strikers, wingers, maybe put a midfielder in there or something. Donny Van literally looking at <laughs> right into the lens. It's just like, hello, yeah. I'm still here. And I, I feel like, you know, maybe he's not the solution, but I at least would like to see it, you know, give it a go and see what happens because Solskjaer definitely puts a lot of faith in the McFred, you know, partnership. And I know we have Nemanja Matic on the bench, but this is not Nemanja Matic from five years ago. This is a very old Nemanja Matic who can't really get across the pitch. Um, and yeah, he has those defensive midfielder capabilities, but in terms of actually performing them, he's not really, can't really do that consistently anymore. Um, but I would like to hear from, I guess, like an outsider perspective. What do you think United should do for that, I guess, that holding midfielder position or how they should structure their starting 11? Because um, they have all these great players, but now it's just how do you get the best um, and most use out of them? Well, I'd say like Manchester United usually do like a four-two-three-one formation as like their default yeah, that's, formation. That's Solskjaer. That's Solskjaer's preferred preferred type of formation. Mm-hmm. And maybe at times, like I've seen historically in the past, like sometimes, like when Klopp first started, he didn't do his like four-three-three immediately. It was more like, all right, we have these chess pieces, we have these players. Why don't we just play a position or a formation that kind of suits the positions of these players more to kind of bring out the most in them. So I believe at times even you saw Klopp do like a four, like a four, two, three, one as well. And for this scenario, maybe just to even bring like a Donny van de Beek in or to help Mott or Matic kind of <laughs> be in that role where he doesn't have to run around as much, maybe change up the formation. <laughs> it's pretty, it's one of those simple solutions where it's like, all right. And then also kind of gives the other managers that are, about to face Manchester United, something to think about. Where it's like, are they going to come back with a classic four-two-three-one, and they may just set up for that, or are they going to be like something crazy, and it's going to be like a four-three-three or four-two-two-two, or four-four-two, something, or even like a three in the back. You never know. But having like a different formation potentially can bring out the most in different players. It could ultimately hurt some players too, because like <laughs> you know, a player like Bruno Fernandez is clearly excelling in this formation. And clearly excelling in the role he's playing, mm-hmm. but kind of changing up the formation and having different roles appear and having different players play in those roles could help. But at the same time, you know, Ole Gunnar has been in this situation. He's been in this manager Hot role seat. for for like three seasons now, four seasons uh, soon. But three, three and a half. I, yeah, three, yeah and three and a half. half. And it's like. Does he have the flexibility to be making those kind of risks? Because like right now, it's like this very low risk kind of situation to be like, all right, four, two, three, one, once again, <laughs> let's just kind of fit these people into, you know, we need two CDMs. All right, McFred, I guess, once again, uh, not really that many options. <laughs> and the, the thing so, that hurts, I, I, I hate when they play McFred because then it pushes, it, basically they play a diamond in midfield where it pushes Paul Pogba basically as a left winger. 
or left midfielder. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not how you get the best out of Paul Pogba playing out, playing him on the left side. You need him to be playing in the central, you know, side of the park, but that obviously you can only play him there when you have the confidence that you have one person that can handle the business in terms of being that sweeper. And, the fact that they don't have it, that's why we've seen the defense kind of leak goals because the likes of Rafael Varane, Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, Juan Basaka, Luke Shaw, they all have to cover for the fact that maybe our midfielders don't win the ball back. And because of that, that leaves up a lot of space. And I will say David De Gea has been really, really good. It's almost like he's returned back to that prime De Gea form where he's making insane saves almost every game. And that's awesome. And I'm so happy that he's back in terms of being in that top form. But it's also a little worrying now that he has to constantly make those world-class saves every single game to keep United in the match, you know? And that's a little worrying as well. And I one last point I wanted to mention about United, uh, I guess, before we move on was the like of Cristiano Ronaldo. I know we mentioned him before, but I mentioned that the team and also the coaching staff need to adapt to his um, ability in terms of what he does on the pitch. And I think it's been fairly evident the way we see him play is that he is not the type of player that if he loses the ball, he's not going to try to win it back immediately. Or he's not the type of player that's going to try to run or chase down the goalkeeper to you know chase a loose ball. And because of that, um, you know, that kind of leaves that responsibility on the likes of Bruno Fernandez, the wingers to kind of help out with that role. But I know a lot of people have been talking, maybe play a 4-4-2 where you have maybe Cavani alongside Ronaldo, where Cavani is much different, where he's willing to track down and chase runners. Or maybe you play Mason Greenwood in a front two, someone that is willing to kind of make those runs so that Ronaldo has that space um, to kind of do what he does and, you know, be the world-class player that he is. So the little things like that where... You know, Ronaldo is not going to do that. And I guess United fans and the manager have to get used to the fact that this is Cristiano Ronaldo. He's just unfortunately just not going to chase down loose balls for you um, and, you know, exert his energy. Because obviously we've seen when he uses his energy for the offensive side, he can do great things on the ball. Mm. I mean, he's also like 35 years old. He's yeah. like, no, <laughs> he can't be running around the whole game. So and mm-hmm. have to use his stamina sparingly. Yeah. But- at the same time, like that's kind of how Cristiano Ronaldo has always been. He's not going to be like a Jamie Vardy who's just going to yeah. chase down everything. Yeah, you know, Ronaldo's going to be like, "All right, I'm here to finish whatever you serve me, or <laughs> just duke out another player of a step over if you hand me the ball." So this this kind of like how he is. So you yeah, know. I remember. Uh, I guess last thing, last thing. Gary Neville on his podcast, he said that even in 2008, when Cristiano was Ronaldo was like 26, he was the same way. Where um, Sir Alex Ferguson had the likes of Wayne Rooney, G Sung Park, Carlos Tevez, all covering for the fact that Ronaldo um, didn't do that. He didn't backtrack. He didn't win the ball back. He was just kind of there to just be that offensive playmaker. And he said that at times they would just stick Ronaldo as a striker, then have all the other players do the dirty work so they could just feed Ronaldo and give him all the goals. And, you know, if he was like that in, you know, in 2008, he's the same way now. Um, so it's all about. Can Solskjaer adapt the system to kind of get the best out of every player? And, you know, that's where managers make their money. So we got to see if Solskjaer is up for it. So, man, Ronaldo has been conditioned as a boy <laughs> to <laughs> do the same things. If only he had someone to yell at him to be like, hey, why don't you chase that down? <laughs> or maybe he still just didn't listen. I don't know. But I yeah. mean, regardless, he's still literally one of the best of all time. Yeah. So, so I mean, he got the way he yeah. was, like just doing what he does. So, Mm-hmm. It is it is what it is, but there definitely are, you know, 
not as bleak as it make as I'm making it out to seem. There's definitely a lot of positives for Manchester United, but right now not looking too hot. Um, and a one-one draw against Everton, but. We wanted to quickly mention uh, Wolves versus Newcastle um, purely on the fact that Juan Ki Chan scored a brace. And I believe this is his fourth or third goal overall in the Premier League um, because he scored on his debut, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he scored a brace against Newcastle and he's kind of been lighting up and been helping Wolves out a lot, especially with Raul Jimenez not really providing the goals since coming back from the skull fracture. Already scored three more goals this season than he did last season for the Bundesliga. Yeah. So. I mean, my cousin's doing pretty well, and he's one of the few <laughs> players so far this season that's gotten a brace. So I believe it's only like seven or eight players that gotten a brace this season, which is two goals. But I mean, that's some big things for Wolves, not only because it gives a little bit of relief for Araujo Eminez to not have to carry the team, but also gives some hope that there actually is a second striker for Wolves because before yeah, they brought in Fabio, like Fabio Silva, Silva like... <laughs> 50 million 18 year old Portugal kid from Portugal from Porto and like he <laughs> I don't know who he was coming into Wolves I still don't really know what he can do because from what I've seen is like he's a very average player so yeah. like yeah I know he's like 18 19 but it still is you at least see some not, glimpses he's not like, Joao Felix he's not Joao Felix where he's like <laughs> from the eye test he's like all right he's probably gonna be like you know Joao Felix we already see him as like oh he could be like a caca or he could be potentially world-class just giving his touches his ability just to run with the ball and score and create those chances whereas for fabio silva it's like this boy he's like he's <laughs> just like, some skinny guy he's just some port they just buy him just because he's young in portuguese it's like what's going on so i think for wolves at least this is a pretty good boost for them because we always kind of painted them as like a solid mid-table team ever since they came into the league and kind of shocked everyone. It's like, oh, they can actually perform and kind of stay amongst the big boys in the mid-table against like West Ham, Leicester, and Everton. But, I mean, since the unfortunate skull fracture with Raul Jimenez, they've kind of been on the decline and just trying to like survive at this point. But mm-hmm. having Huang Yi Chan there and having his career slightly get revitalized from just being in the squad and scoring those goals here and there, I think it's going to be beneficial for both of them. So this is just a storyline to kind of keep track of as the season goes on. But big result against a Newcastle side that's definitely kind of be facing facing off against them with this relegation kind of situation right now. Because Newcastle, they're down there. <laughs> they're always <laughs> in the talks of that relegation battle right now sitting yeah. in 19th. But Wolves luckily kind of moving their way up to 12th. Yeah, so it's uh it's good to see Juan Ki Chan out there um and doing doing one. I think Sun also scored this weekend too. So a uh, good 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 weekend for the, the Asian crowd in the uh Premier League. Good to see the uh, South Koreans doing well. But love to see it. Yeah, love to see it. Um and then finally we have some exciting news. Uh Leicester City's historical probably will go down as probably one of the best managers of Premier League history. Just purely on the fact that he won a Premier League title with Leicester. Um, Claudio Ranieri has been hired by Watford after Watford sacked their manager, not even making it to November, already sacked him in October. Um, But they have brought in Claudio Ranieri. He's back in the Premier League. If you forgot, it was funny. um, The first season we actually did the podcast, Claudio Ranieri actually came back to the Premier League with Fulham. Unfortunately, that, you know, the job didn't work out. Fulham ended up getting relegated with Ranieri, or they sacked him maybe four four games before um, getting relegated. But Watford have uh, pulled the trigger and have um, hired Claudio Ranieri, so it's it's good to see him back 
um, back in the Premier League. Hopefully he can rekindle some of that that magic from that 2015-16 season for Watford. I don't really know if he has the same firepower <laughs> and ammo, though. This, this arsenal at Watford, definitely not the same that he had in a Leicester squad because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, he did have Mares, Conte, Tay. a prime Vardy. So I will say there's there should be a bet we should take for this one. Will Claudio Ranieri be sacked before Christmas or do you think he'll survive after Christmas? Dang. Christmas, man. You're only giving him like a, a solid <laughs> month, two months, right? Two months. Because Watford had the propensity to just pull the trigger and just yeah. fire managers willy-nilly. Because I believe the last time they're in the Premier League, they went through four, three or four managers. It was good. They brought back season. the manager that that was there with them when they first got promoted to the Premier League. And they fired mm-hmm. him then, after a month or something like that. <laughs> so, okay, maybe Christmas is a little too soon. All right, let's 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 make a more conservative one. Let's say, will he last the entire season? That's uh, that's tough. I really want to see Claudio and Yuri do good, but I'm going to lead towards no, just purely on the fact that Watford just don't not, like they don't care about the pedigree or what you've done for the club. They're just like, if you're if you're not performing, you're out. Um, because they they actually they had Nigel Pearson. They fired him too before mm-hmm. uh, four games before deciding that. And obviously Nigel Pearson was at Leicester City before Claudio Ranieri took over. Um, so I, I don't think he'll last, unfortunately. I just think purely based on Watford's track record, they'll probably fire him. I also agree with you. And <laughs> I, I picked Christmas just because I was thinking that's probably when they would consider firing. <laughs> they the already start the board meetings right there. <laughs> it's like literally we're currently we're recording on October 6th. And I believe with Ranieri can't get them out of this relegation area. Like right now they're sitting in 15th and that... The, the previous manager already got fired and they're not even in that relegation like <laughs> pit right now of 18, 19 and 20th. So I feel like if Ranieri doesn't make any progress, if he's not above the mid table, which I really don't see Watford doing, I think he'll probably get sacked. Then it's like, Oh, it's clearly not the players. It's probably the manager. So <laughs> if he can do it, someone else can. So that's probably why I see him probably getting the boot sooner than later, unfortunately. And also just, for the the irony is that you know Claudio Ranieri he had this classic four four two that yeah. he ran at Leicester that was like basically the staple of every single game. It was kind of like Solskjaer, where it's like all right every game would be a four two three one for Solskjaer, but for Ranieri it was always a four four two. And from what I read too, that this is not actually kind of his style. Where apparently he was kind of known for being. A manager that changes the formation like way too much to the point where like the players are like, what are we doing this week? Like we don't even know till like the game is like, all right, I guess we're doing a four three three this game. And then like the next game is like, oh, we're doing a four five one. It's a lot of formation talk to, in this podcast this week. But <laughs> Ranieri, we're gonna see if he's gonna be, you know, kind of be back to his also his Leicester roots. Where it's like, all right, he found like a certain formation that he kind of likes and certain players he wants to just stick in every single week. And have a consistency, which seemed to work at Leicester for sure for at least that season. <laughs> Success is kind of an understatement, but mm-hmm. I would say for this, that's going to be like the big talk of how he's going to do at Watford. It's like, is he going to have the right players to do what he wants in terms of tactics and the way to grab results and to grab points? Or is he just going to be a jumbled mess and just kind of be trying every single week? And I feel like 
low-key is probably going to be the latter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, congratulations, Ranieri, back in the Premier League with Watford. But uh, wouldn't be surprised if in three months it's like, all right, Ranieri, he's out. <laughs> Man, it's it's unfortunate because I, I feel like if you're a Watford player, why do you want to continue being like a player at this club? Because like, how, how do you even have fun constantly having to change and adapt your play style to different managers every time? I feel like you'd have trust issues being a Watford player. It's like, man, <laughs> managers keep leaving. <laughs> They're like, every single time there's like a team talk with the managers, like, all right, this is the season. We're going to change everything. Three months later, new manager, same speech. All right, new manager. We're going to have a new system. Everything's going to work. And then three months later, another team talk with a new manager. It's like, it literally, I don't know. Horrible. Just, the, the cycle repeats. And then, you know, as Melisar just sitting there like, man, Watford's a rough place. England's a rough place. <laughs> <laughs> He's good though, man. That's the problem. Troy Dini's, you know, looking down, from, looking down City. from the heavens like first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, oh, you know, wishing the best of luck to Claudio Ranieri. Unfortunately, we both believe that his time back in the Premier League won't end too well. But, hey, you know, he... Um, you know, he can shock anyone. If he can shock anyone, he can do it again. And if he shocked it with Leicester, he can shock the world again. So mm-hmm. we'll see what, what ends up happening with Watford and Claudio Ranieri. But uh, with that, that kind of wraps up the episode 127 for us. Um, interesting one here um, because next week, I know we mentioned that we were recording this actually on the first week of the international break. Next week when we record, obviously the Premier League season will be kicking back on and so will the leagues. But we wanted to ask the question uh, to all of you if you had any interesting topics or any interested soccer-related topics. doesn't necessarily even have to be related towards in-game stuff. You know, anything you find interesting, like whether it be like FIFA or kits or cleats or anything you can think of that's soccer-related that you'd find interesting and would want us to talk about. We'd love to hear any comments or suggestions for uh, next week's episode because, um, you know, be, it'd be a great time to do it just because with the international break and kind of a lull in the league soccer um, schedule kind of gives us some time to do some of those more fun evergreen topics. So anything you have, we'd love to hear about them um, in the comments below or just shooting us a message um, on our social media platforms at the premier pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, if you want to, shoot us a comment on YouTube. That's also great too on at the premier pod on the YouTube channel. Um, and after that, if you, um, as we always say, if you want to rate, um, give us a rating on Apple podcasts, that helps us out a lot too, or leaving us a review on there helps us get noticed and helps get the podcast out and pushed out to more people. Um, but as we always say, just taking a listen, taking your time to listen, um, and sharing that with any of your other friends that are interested in, um, soccer or the Premier League, that's more than enough. And we do value that. Um, any, any, any support we get, we value. So thank you guys once again for listening. Um, we appreciate it. Um, and yeah, that kind of wraps up season four, episode 127 for us. Peace. Peace.